What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I am your host, Danny Barang, and this week I am joined by a special guest host. Guest guest host? I don't know. I, I'm just winging it now without Tara. I, I don't have my, my, my sturdy wings that is Team Mom, Tara Bowen Biggs. But I am joined by the Trailblazers stage manager, Kristen Kerbaugh. Kristen, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we've been trying to work something out for a little while uh, with obviously with COVID and, and everything that's been going on. It's been hard to kind of schedule things and have things to talk about. But uh, well, basketball is back. So we've got a lot to talk about. But I, I want to give people an idea of who you are, what you do. You know, you've been with the team now for, for a while. Uh, if you guys have noticed the uh, tall, very sweet woman that, that sits next to uh, Lamar and Kevin and everybody else over the years. Uh, that's why she probably looks familiar if you're watching this on the YouTube video. Uh, it's because she is there coordinating what goes on for these guys. And so I wanted you to kind of tell folks like, what it is you do there. Absolutely. Um, yes, I've been, gosh, I think this might be my 10th season. Um, Has it really been 10 years? Yeah, I think working as a stage wow. manager at least. Um, I, I started in sports way back when. Um, but so basically my job, I, of course, you know, I sit there next to the announcers, uh, make sure they're good to go. We've always had, Blazers have always had really great announcers that are fairly self-sufficient. So mm -hmm. my job is, makes my job a lot easier than having to, you know, babysit sometimes. But um, sit there and make sure they're good to go. Um, I have a lot of communication and coordination with our uh, producer, Dan Hyatt. Um, just making sure that kind of his vision for the show um, is seamless and kind of just trying to help out where I, where I can. I always just tell people more or less I'm kind of his assistant and help him to coordinate whatever he needs done. I just started thinking about that. I was like, yeah, your job's probably a lot easier dealing with, you know, uh, Jordan or Lamar or Kevin or Brooke or anybody else out there than it would be trying to wrangle Joe and I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I started thinking about that for a second. I was like, Oh God. Yeah. No, she does have it easy. The, yeah. the whole idea of like trying to keep us on track would be like, we have a producer who just sits there and wants to, you know, roll his eyes every three seconds while I derail the shows we we're talking about beforehand. <laughs> but you've been around this team now for a long time. You get mm -hmm. arguably the best seats in the house. Yes. So yeah, no complaints there that, you know, everyone's like, Oh wow, you have, you have a second job. And I was like, yeah, honestly, I get, I get really great seats to be able to watch basketball and help out with the broadcast. So, so no complaints. It doesn't feel like a job. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that's, we're, we're talking about like the pantheon of like, if you're going to do something where it's not your entire life, I, I would, I would say yours is probably right at the very top of, of that, that pyramid, as far as like being able to like, just, be right there literally in the thick of it how many how many game winning shots have been like right there right in front of you oh gosh any i should go back and count i mean any of the ones we i work all shows that aren't the national broadcast for mm -hmm. the most part so that's usually only a small handful every season so anything else that happens outside of that i've been i've been there for a lot of sometimes they kind of meld together i'll be talking about one shot and i'll realize oh no that was actually that was dan's <laughs> other game winning shot <laughs> They, they start to just kind of blur together. How many times have you had to have like, kind of like lean out of the way to get Terry, you know, get the, get the view on the floor a little better? Um, luckily we have uh, we have monitors down in the front for that reason. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very often if I look out and staring at Terry's rear end. So I go, I have to go back to the monitor. <laughs> yeah. I, I think in the, uh, the immortal world of the Avengers, I think that's America's ass that's in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Terry. Come on now. All right. Uh, but back to the actual basketball side of things, the Blazers have played two games. Now we're recording this Sunday night after the Boston game, um, which turned out better than I think a lot of us probably were anticipating at halftime. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
But let's, let's hit on game one first. Uh, the one that I think that everybody was kind of looking forward to, not only is it the restart, it's, it's the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, it's obviously the team that Portland's trying to battle with for that eight spot or at least the ninth so they can get that play-in opportunity. What were your initial thoughts of taking a look at that game, the return of Blazer basketball, and then we'll just kind of work from there? Gosh, I mean, going into that game, um, I know I've heard a lot of people talking like, oh, you know, based on the, you know, kind of the, the scrimmage games, this could be ugly, but I always just kind of throw all that aside, you know, preseason scrimmage games. Yeah. Um, always super interesting because you get to see matchups that you wouldn't probably typically see in a regular season game. Um, I know I was a little nervous when the game first started. I feel like Memphis came out a little bit hungrier than we did. Um, they seemed maybe a little bit quicker to react to like loose balls and whatnot. Um, but we, we stayed right there with them, you know, um, what was I looking at? Always, you know, third quarter for us can sometimes cause anxiety. The quarter shall not be named. <laughs> In, yeah. uh, most Blazer fans. Um, so that was a little nervous. You know, we did, we did so well up through half and then that third quarter hit and I was like, Oh guys, just keep, keep, you know, plugging along. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like uh, the one thing was, I know I got nervous because we started getting some early fouls on the bigs. Um, you know, when Nurk when Nurk had that what would have been his third, and um, thank goodness Terry challenged that because um, that when that when they called that, I got really nervous. I was like, if we don't real, have real quick on those 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 replays, you're you're right there mm-hmm. a lot of times for that. Have you heard some of those discussions as far as like how? Terry's kind of reacting to to those situations like live because his his record on replays is insane only surpassed by Damien when Damien puts his finger up a call for review I think he's only missed one so far so like when when you're sitting there and and Terry's asking can you hear him like asking the guys like what's going on on the floor like how serious do you think this is like do like are you sure you've got this kind of a deal yeah I mean stuff like that they're usually far enough away that we can't unless he's screaming i can't usually hear him um like of course we don't have him wired up or anything which would be really interesting but uh i am all for a wired up terry stotts right um but based on reactions you know you can usually tell a lot of times what i hear you know i'll hear maybe some of the coaches or players or whatnot on the bench because if they maybe get an angle that terry doesn't see you know they're going to be hollering and so usually there's a little bit of a, a conversation that goes on before he calls for the challenge um but yeah his record on he, he's got to be Top. I, I'm, I'm almost certain he's still top in the league. There, yeah. there was somebody that was keeping track of it, and he mm-hmm. was like somewhere around like 70%. So it, was, it was an obscene number the last time I looked at it. So, yeah. The uh, other thing I, that I thought was interesting is there have been some calls where you can tell that people are trying to urge him to call the challenge you know, earlier in the game, mm-hmm. um, and he'll just kind of let it pass, and maybe if he uses it, it'll be you know, later in the fourth quarter. Um, so it was nice that he just jumped on that and was like, Let's challenge that because we can't have three can't have three fouls on Nurkic this early. In the, game. the realization that it was going to be three on Hassan, three on Collins, three on Nurkic mm. at that point because Nurk eventually did pick up his third foul just a little bit later. Yeah. So it if you know th- those few minutes when you look at a tight score line and go into overtime, that could have been a deciding factor in how mm. that game turned out. So for Terry Stotts to realize the importance of use of Nurkic and being out of foul trouble, I think in that particular instance was huge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was watching, I was actually watching that game with some family and, you know, going into uh, overtime, they had a graphic that had just the, the foul situation. And everybody had some. Everybody had some. It was scary. I was like, I would be surprised if, you know, all of our bigs fell out at this point. Which, I mean, they got pretty close. They got real close, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
uh, by the end of that, obviously you uh, you had both Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic. You're starting four and you're starting five, uh, both gone mm-hmm. uh, on six fouls apiece. Uh, that's likely to happen when you have 36 team fouls, uh, a combined, I believe it was 62, I believe when it was all said and done. Yeah, it was 62 total fouls and 84 mind-numbingly, soul-sucking, awful free throws that, let me tell you, I was thrilled at the prospect of a one o'clock local start time. To get off air at 6.15 was not what I had in mind. <laughs> I was not fully prepared for a almost five-plus-hour roller coaster of an overtime. It's one thing to get overtime. It's another thing to get free throws. It's another thing to get free throws and overtime. When you're taking a look at that game, how much of it do you think was rust and how much do you think of it was the officials being able to hear literally everything on the floor because they I, didn't have the crowd to distract things? Yeah, I think it was absolutely that, you know, the, the refs. Um, I didn't, I don't know that I noticed like a ton of rust on really either team. Um, there wasn't, you know, there were baskets. I mean, there's always going to be baskets that should go on and they don't. Um, but there was a lot of fairly smooth, um, I feel like just transitions, passes, whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard anytime, you know, you have two teams that are trying to get going and they just, the whistle didn't stop blowing. Um, and I don't know that I, you know, I fully agree with it. Cause it's, it's one thing if, you know, they adhere to the same kind of mentality of like, Oh, if you're yelling directly at a ref or if you're, you know, doing something directly at a player, but you know, these guys are passionate. They're finally returning back to regular season play. They should be able to, you know, they need to get some of that out without the fear of, repercussions yeah, yeah. no that's, and i think if you, if you want to go the, the um, slightly home review here in that gary trent jr gets the chase down block on the presumptive rookie of the year and john morant in a very big play late in the game and you can see that he's flexing for himself mm-hmm. but bill kennedy is the trail official almost 40 feet away who decides you know what it's been 30 seconds i need to blow this whistle again and decides to hand out a technical foul when he can't see what's going on in the action and Anybody who's listening to this podcast for any period of time is used to me ranting and raving about how bad NBA officials are because they are, they're terrible. Um, there's, there's maybe like five in the league that I trust to consistently call a game on a regular basis. Um, but that kind of stuff, I think what you just said there, the whole idea of not on top of everything else, these guys haven't played competitive basketball with stakes on the line in five months. Mm-hmm. Let a guy scream. Yeah. Especially when it's not, I mean, granted, you know, I don't know how much, how much the audio is being picked up, but I was, I'm a little surprised there haven't been more like profanities that have slipped their way into the broadcast just because it is out there. You know, I have a conspiracy theory. (laughs) I have a conspiracy theory. The noise that is piped in has been turned up like 10, 10 levels since the scrimmages. Cause in the scrimmages, Mm -hmm. we heard, we heard some, some Carmelo FOHs, right? Mm -hmm. We heard probably two or three of them. We heard Nurk say ball don't lie about a half dozen times. <laughs> like we, we heard plenty. Yeah. Now we can't hear a damn thing. And the I game, am the certain. Game, they definitely noticed it. It was, it was loud today. They'd be in timeouts and, you know, I'm think, at first you're thinking, why, why is the crowd cheering? And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's not a crowd there. They just have the volume. Yeah, yeah. Boston, Boston's not that loud. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Especially like it was, what, 4 o'clock local? No, nah, man. They're, 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 they're a couple Sam Adams deep at that point in time. They're, they're not that loud. 
it's got to be a, a late night game for for that to be remotely loud and even then then you know, it's Boston. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I am I am firmly in the camp of turn the noise down, let me hear the junk. Mm-hmm. Like today I thought the the refs did a much better job of not overly aggressively blowing the whistle every 3 seconds. Um, I, I think the crew they had today was, was for the most part, decent. Uh, it was still kind of round. It was more of what I expected to say mm-hmm. the least. It was more, mm, I don't know about that call, but whatever, that's fine. But the, the officials in the, in the first game with Bill Kennedy and his crew, they, they were a train wreck. Uh, there was four missed goaltending calls. There was six total technical fouls. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously 62 fouls called on top of those 84 free throws. Like that's, that's not the one you write to Adam Silver and be like, job well done. No, that's, that's a disaster. Um, I, was, I was a little nervous that that was – that maybe they were trying to set the tone for the rest of the regular season yeah. game. And I was like, oh, if this is, if this is the next eight games, it's, it's going to be rough. I mean, to be honest, it, it, it's, it's detrimental to the product mm-hmm. to, to slow it down that much. It's, it, it, it's like watching Sergio Garcia – swing every single time you, like having the camera on him every single for those of you who don't want Sergio Garcia has the slowest pace of play in golf history um or if, if you're a baseball player or a baseball fan any pitcher who has 37 things they do before they pitch or Alex Rodriguez stepping out of the box and undoing the velcro on his gloves 27 times before getting back <laughs> in the box I can do these stupid analogies all day um but the whole point of basketball is to go 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 I, that's that's the allure of it is, is it those the pace of play is much higher and much more satisfactory, I think, than, than other sports. And that's part of the draw. And when you get this kind of stuff, it just, ugh. But speaking of bogging it down, let's move on to the next part of this. Yusuf freaking Nurkic. I say freaking because this is a PG-13-ish podcast. <laughs> so, um, but as you can see, I'm, I'm supporting the big fellow with my, my, my Nurk gear, my Bosnian BC gear. If you watched the show today, I was rocking it there too. And I'm just a, a dirty man and I haven't changed out of it. Um, First impressions of the return of the beast. The fever is back. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. Like anytime someone gets injured at all, and especially an injury that took him out for 16 many, months. Yeah. However 16. many months, 15 months. Um, I expected rust for him, for a player like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, he's got to get back into the groove of things. I mean, I know they've had scrimmages and practices, but it's, you know, you hear it all the time. It's not the same as a game. Um, but I, he just, he's, just a quick big man. Like I, I feel like he lost almost nothing over those 16 months. Um, well, he is- lost something. It's about probably about 35, 40 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what he lost. Yeah. So he might be quicker. Um, God, no, it's, it's so great. I mean, you always want to see anybody be able to come back from an injury like that, but especially as a blazer fan to really see him come back and he's still just a powerhouse on the floor. It's, it's incredible. Neil Olshay said the same thing. It's kind of the, the, the other day. Um, it's the same sentiment that Joe and I have kind of echoed on the show. And, and, and really Tara and I for the last couple of years, as much as Damian Lillard is the engine, Nurk is the transmission. Dame is the heart. Nurk is the soul. You know, Dame is what this team is built around. Nurk is the, is the spirit animal. Whatever, however you want to categorize it, whatever analogy you want to use, Nurk is what brings it all together. He is, he is the glue. He is, you know, wh- whatever you want to frame it as. And you can just see it. And we'll talk about it specifically as it pertains to the Boston game. But when he's out on the floor, and this isn't to, to backhand Hassan Whiteside. He did an admirable job filling in for Yusuf Nurkic in his absence. I, I have my, plenty of my own issues with his play style, and I, it was never a great fit. 
but he filled in and did what was necessary. Mm-hmm. But the difference between Nurk and Hassan is miles oh, as absolutely. far as fitting with Damian Lillard in this Portland Trailblazer team. Mm-hmm. When he's back on the floor, what is it that you see from him and, and how, how it impacts the game on basically every level? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's just so – he's so much more involved than I feel like um, Hassan is. I mean, he's there and he's trying to get his rebounds and whatnot. He's doing a lot of the stuff that centers are just really expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's even a couple times, you know, Nurk is passing the ball, he's creating plays and, you know, he'll, he'll get a couple of guys on him and see that, oh, hey, someone's, you know, out there on the three point line and they're available, you know, let's shoot them the ball. Um, there was, I forget what the pass was today. There was one that the backdoor bounce pass to Damian Lillard. Uh, no, there's a, there's a series of like back three, I think it was three different turnovers back to back of just really awkward passes. Hmm. Um, but it was the type of passes that, had they been successful, it would have been really great to see. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, no, I, I know what series you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, um, but the fact that he's able to even just see that that's a possibility. Granted, you know, you, you of course, want it to end up in hopefully. He, playing, he takes risks, but, which yeah, he takes risk. yeah. I, I would say that in general, if I was going to use something to describe the Portland Trailblazers in, as far as, like, their, their offensive mindset when it comes to playmaking, Risk averse is probably something I would say that they they that that's kind of the, the region that they fall in, and that that's not necessarily that the entire offense is. But we're talking about playmaking. How often do we see Dame or CJ throw a lob? How many times do we see them really push it in transition and put you know pressure on a defense in the open court? It's much more about getting a better look mid clock than it is about getting a look early or taking a higher percentage risk mm-hmm. to maybe get a little bit of an easier chance. And I think Nurkic is a bit of the yin to that yang. Yeah. So he's back out there and we're going to talk obviously about what he does offensively. Da, 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 da. And as great as the six blocks were, what he did just overall defensively against Memphis I think can't be overstated enough. Portland's playing without their best perimeter defender in Trevor Ariza. Gary Trent Jr. is doing a pretty decent job of, of being that guy, but he's not in the starting lineup and he's not out there taking on the primary assignment all the time. And a lot of that is falling on Nurk and Zach. So we'll talk about Nurk here first. Obviously he's lost the weight. He's, he's doing things. He's getting out there and being effective, Beyond the block shots, and let's let's talk look about that real quick. Blocking three pointers is insane. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't think people understand necessarily what it takes for a seven foot three hundred pound man to run down a guy <laughs> on the perimeter <laughs> and block a shot. Yeah, like Just being able to close out that quickly, you don't big guys don't do it. Yes, you're down on the floor, so you see the speed yeah. of this game, and. It, I, this is a kind of a privileged thing to say. If you ever have the opportunity to be on the floor for an NBA game, it is a different world from being even 10 rows off the floor. How fast and how big and how quick in the reactions these guys have is otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And for a guy that big to go from funneling somebody at the rim to sprinting out to block a three-pointer is insane and a credit to everything that he has done during this off season and this prep time to get his body ready. Because even before the injury, I don't think he gets out there and does some of the stuff that we've already seen him do. Yeah. So he's out there taking away basically the middle of the floor, but we also see him 
kind of going out and being their linchpin, even on the perimeter, what is, what have you seen from him that's, that stood out for you on the defensive side? Oh gosh. Just like in these games. Over these last two games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh goodness. I mean, a little bit of what, you know, I don't want to like sound repetitive, but a little bit of what we just covered is that he just kind of, he seems to get his hands a little bit everywhere. Um, you know, if he's, if he's still coming down and the play hasn't been set yet, if he sees an opportunity to maybe try to reach in and, and snag a steal, like he's going to do it. He's not just going to go, okay, I'm you know, going to get down here to the post and kind of do my job. Um, he's kind of trying to, I feel like sometimes just trying to mess with everybody's, you know, if, if he can kind of scramble them up a little bit. Um, I can't, uh, no, I, I think that's, that's actually good. The fact that I actually neglected to mention that he's getting his hands everywhere. He's getting deflections. He's pushing guys off their spots, which is why he's kind of picking up a few fouls. Um, but I think that's the best way of talking about it is the level of activity for him, excuse me, is <clears> – good Lord. Uh, the level of activity is just – it's such a staunch comparison to what we've seen this year from this team. It's – it's not that they're a, they're all bad defenders. It's just, there's levels of activity. And I think that's why a guy like Trevor Reza stands out or a guy like Gary Trent Jr. Stands out in that their level of activity is just that much higher. Yeah. And for everybody who's out there wondering, you know, why can't Dame do this? Why can't CJ do this? Why can't da, da, da? There are very, 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 very few players in the entire world in the history of the NBA who have had the offensive workloads. And I'm not trying to make excuses for these guys. It's just the reality of it that have the offensive workloads that Dame and CJ do and the amount of distance they cover and the amount of effort they have to put into literally every single play. So for them to put in the necessary effort that maybe a Trevor Ariza or a Gary Trent do isn't as easy because those guys don't have to work nearly as hard offensively so they can use that extra energy defensively and that's what gets those guys on the court that's what completes a team and you may not want like that and everybody should play defense da, da, da. that's just not the reality of the league yeah. so when you yeah. see a guy like Yusuf Nurkic giving it <laughs> on both ends at that size like you were talking about with that level of activity that's nuts mm-hmm. I think to your point too that's one of the great things um, about Gary I mean he's been phenomenal so the fact that he is able to be such an impactful defensive player, but then he's still going down. It's obviously he's not hitting, you know, some of the double and triple teams that CJ and Dave are going to see, <laughs> yeah. but he's still down there hitting threes. You know, he's very, he's becoming very consistent on both ends. And so it's nice that, you know, when teams, I mean, teams are very open, they come in, their game plan is shut down Dave and CJ. You know, if you can shut that down, you have a much higher percentage of, of actually winning the game. Um, so it's great that they're able to pass on that workload off on other guys. And look at you with the natural transition as the host here. I, I, I like it. Right, right into Gary Trent Jr., <laughs> who has been probably the, the story of the year outside of the, the, the known quantities of this team. Not just these two games, but really from January on, he was really starting to come together. Uh, this season, when he's played 20 minutes or more, which is basically him being officially in the rotation and not mm-hmm. getting garbage time minutes or whatever it was, He's averaging over 12 points a game, shooting 45% from the floor, 40% from three, a uh, couple of rebounds, a couple steals. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give me that night in, night out. Portland has not got that kind of production from a wing player since Nicholas Patum. Trevor Reza gave them that for 20 games. Mm-hmm. That, that's what they got out of Trevor. I believe it was 22 games 
that they had him for before he obviously opted out for personal reasons, which hope, hopefully he's doing well with his family and everything right now. But you've, you've been around this team like there for 10 years. The, how do I say this politely? Uh, cratering hole <laughs> that has been at the wing position outside of Nicholas Batum has been brutal. And it's why when you see guys like Trevor Reza who give you a benchmark level of production that you're like, this looks incredible. Well, no, it's just, that's average. Uh-huh. But it looks great considering what Portland has had. And I don't mean to downplay Mo and Chief. I love those guys and they brought things. But when you have to, when you have to measure this stuff accordingly. And I think Gary is on pace to be a guy that Portland can legitimately count on. Let's take a look at his Memphis game. We'll get to the Boston game and break those guys down there. But he comes out five of eight, 27 minutes, four of five from three, 17 points. What more do you want from him? (laughs) I mean, he's taken on John Morant. Like we saw, he had that chase down block. It was phenomenal. But even more than that, he's taking on a tough perimeter assignment. This is a second round pick, Kristen. Like what, when you're, when you're out there and you've seen this kind of maturation happen over the last year and a half, what have you seen from Gary kind of built up from obviously day one until now? I think a lot of it, and I, I hear this being talked about more and more um, with his recent play is like just the level of trust. Like it's always interesting kind of in my position because you know, you, you, I see the same kind of, you get into your standard rotation. I see Mm -hmm. all those guys playing three games. Um, You know, it's rare unless it's like a blowout game that I see, too deep in the bench play, um, but you still hear things from practice, you know, all the things that I don't attend. Um, and so it's always interesting because you start hearing a little bit of Gary chatter from practice, you know, this, that, and the other. He starts kind of popping in and out of games here and there. Um, and then now he is just that. Not only is he getting, I mean, good quanti- you know, qu- uh, quantity of minutes, but the quality is there too, enough to that, you know, like I say, you see the trust in other players passing him the ball because he's at the – he's shooting what from the three? I think almost 40%. Well, he's 40% of the season. 40%. He's like yeah. 39.6. But in the bubble so far, he's 11 of 18. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> which, I mean, that, which I hear I, is pretty good. <laughs> I think that speaks to it. And I always think that's kind of like when you get to the ultimate, you know, top of the mountain where not only are you seeing all these things that you keep hearing whispers about, but now, you know, all of his teammates have that much, uh, have, they're just consistently shown trust that he's going to, um, you know, he's going to help them get, get the win. And I think it's important that we're not just talking about the three-point shooting. We're talking about the defensive side of things. Hmm. Like they trust him to take on arguably the most explosive point guard in the league in John Morant. I mean, it's a coin toss between, you know, him and Russ. I mean, I guess if you want to call Giannis a point guard, fine, by all means. (laughs) But Jaw is a superlative-laden, explosive freak of nature that his stop-start is – it's it's Olympic-level speed. I mean, Hmm. it's – the way that he accelerates is terrifying. Like the mere thought of it makes what's left of my ACL in my right knee wish it was torn like my left knee. Like it's, it's, it's like, I can't fathom that. And he's doing that successfully. And that's, that's such a crazy thing to think about when he, the knock on him. And even I, I talked to him at Hoop Summit before he went to Duke. He, the, the big question of was, can he defend at the next level? And that was a college. Mm. And then he, after that, he was like, can I defend at the NBA? And we've all heard when we, we, we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about how he watched literally every single defensive possession from his rookie year and sat down with Coach Jim, sat down with Coach Moran, 
and went over, how do I get better at this? How do I get on the floor? And I've likened him to Wesley Matthews in that mm-hmm. when Wes came into the league, Wes couldn't shoot, but he could defend. Mm-hmm. But he went to, to Coach Hornacek and said, you know, teach me. Wes became an osmotic sponge of knowledge with it, when it came to shooting. And he went from literally a non-shooter to a 38% three-point shooter. That kind of thing doesn't happen. I see the same thing with Gary Trent Jr. where he went from, to be fair, a non-defender to not just a defender, but a plus defender. I, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say that he's probably their best perimeter defender. I think you're maybe splitting a little bit of hairs with a reason. That's just because he's an encyclopedic knowledge of, of, of defensive coverage after playing mm-hmm. in the league for years. But Gary's basic instincts defensively are already showing out and we're seeing it kind of convert here. So we've got Nurk. We've got Gary. A lot of good. I, I got I got to go a little bit with the bad here, though. Mm. Zach Collins has looked a little rough. He looks a little reminiscent of maybe rookie Zach Collins. And maybe this is a little bit unfair to him because of the way the refs are calling the game. Mm. But he is racking up fouls at a exponential rate. How much do you think of that is him just like being hyper aggressive because he hasn't been on the floor and he wants to do so many things or is it more the refs are just calling everything? Uh, well, it's hard. Obviously, you know, first game, I think you can chalk it up to, to the refs calling absolutely everything because they, <laughs> they really- which I mean, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I, I think he had one or two where it was like, you got to stay on your feet, bud. Yeah. But otherwise I thought he got hosed a couple times. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as far as like, I feel like even from, from what I remember before his, before the injury, um, I feel like there's a lot of games where he got, he got early fouls. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if anything, I think he's just trying to, uh, just trying to be aggressive. Um, maybe not always in either the best way possible or, you know, how you always talk about, you know, some players, they know how to kind of be aggressive and get it past the refs, you know, what some combination of the two. Um, so either, you know, a learning curve type of thing or just he's just trying to trying to get in there. Um, but and I feel like, too, sometimes, you know, if a player is known for getting a lot of fouls, um, kind of, you know, they maybe get put on the radar a little bit. Um, so maybe, you know, refs are just like, oh, he's, you know, he's going to he's going to get in there. So just be prepared to call a whistle. <laughs> I don't want this to be a pile on Zach segment because I know a lot of people think that I don't like Zach. <laughs> I've probably given some ammunition to that. Um, but the, the truth is I, I want him to excel and I want him to do well. I feel like the combination of the refs being the way they were, his reputation, which I don't think he did himself any favors early on in his career, and his want to be impactful, I think are like the perfect storm of, of, of crappiness for him. Not, not, not that he's crappy. I'm just saying the situation. Calm down, everybody. Um, But I I think he needs to be in a position where maybe he can excel a little bit more and be put in a position where I think it's, I don't know, maybe it's better for him to be that last line of defense as opposed to the the help defender. Um, Because there's been a few times where he's been hyper-aggressive where it's like, okay, if you're the last line of defense, it's probably better to be that as opposed to, maybe biting on a pump fake at the three point line when you're just, you just need to stay down and run a guy off a line. You know what I mean? Like 
I, I think maybe that we need to optimize that. And I kind of wanted to, to use that to, to touch on, on this. Actually, you know what? We'll save that for later. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing it. We'll talk about the, a potential lineup change. Uh, Cause I've seen quite a few people ask about it already, mm-hmm. but the Memphis game in general, let's just kind of wrap a bow on, on that because I want to spend a lot of time on the Boston game because I think there was a lot to take away from that. The Memphis game up and down traditional third quarter disaster piece. Um, I, they've got to find a way to solve that. Uh, turns out Damian Lillard's still really good. Um, CJ McCollum's still really good. Really good. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the, those are the kind of things that I think we're looking at. The, the things I took away from that game was Nurk shotgun blasted the entire box score. Uh, Damon CJ still very simply combined for a 60 piece on a nightly basis. And that's just kind of regular action. Gary turning into an absolute stud. And I think these are the same trends that we're going to kind of see through this eight game uh, buildup. Um, Mello. Mello was great as a spot up shooter, had the two clutch threes. Um, we'll talk about the Boston game and how everything kind of went the other way. Um you got good minutes from, from Mario. I think you got a, a good sense there. And then Hassan, who um, – Hassan's in a rough place right now because I think he – like we alluded to earlier, he was called upon to fill in for Nurk, and Nurk is Dame's guy. So when Nurk comes back, Nurk's, Nurk's a guy. And that's not just like – it's just because Dame says so. It's because Nurk fits better with this team and is more about what this team is going forward. So Hassan's got to find his place – with this team right now. And it's this delicate act of how do you keep us on happy? Because he did come in here and do what was asked of him to block shots, to rebound the ball, to be the big man in the middle, to be effective, to finish plays. I mean, his box score numbers were, were very good. Um, was he the best screen and roller? No. Was he the, a bit of a black hole sometimes? Sure. But I think we're kind of probably splitting hairs a little bit when you're talking about what you wanted him to do. But the flip side of that is, I think on the he's got to. Oh, let me ask you this: When you've watched us on in these two games, what's been your takeaway? Um, definitely the first. I mean, if the first game, I feel like, like I was saying earlier, I feel like everyone was maybe a little seemed a little sluggish, at least in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he kind of looked like that a little bit today as well. Um. And again, it could, and it's hard to, because it's a hard comparison, because now not only are you just looking at Whiteside, but you're comparing it to Nurk. So it could just be that That's he's... That's the stark contrast, yeah, yeah. so it could just be that he's doing stuff he's always done at the same speed he's always been doing it, but now you're comparing him to a much quicker center. That's um, fair. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, the, the Blazer fan in me is just like, oh, I think we're going to have all these games where everyone is playing at their peak and whatnot, um, which is not it's not realistic of sports, you know? Um, I, I would love to have literally one game where everybody was just in, in line. Like everybody oh, went off. Like it would be that, basically it, it, it's, it's the magical quarter the Blazers had against the Spurs. And what was that? 92 when they just went absolutely insane. Everybody mm-hmm. went nuts. That's like the one time it's ever happened. Yeah. And yeah. So I would it say it's for Hassan, it's, at least for me, it's hard because I fully believe in whatever you're doing. Um, humans in general just do well with, consistency and knowing what's expected and yeah. kind of like, you know, um, like at my job, I always say, Oh, it's muscle memory. Like you just, you just know what you should be doing mm-hmm. for him. Everything he's been doing this entire season has not only switched up, but then you top it off with, you know, COVID and not playing in a bubble. And, um, you know, so again, that's kind of the not sleeping in your own bed. 
making excuses. Um, I don't, I don't think it is. I, I, I legitimately think that it was actually one of the things I wondered going into this. How many guys like sleeping in their own bed is important? Like how many guys just like can't sleep in a hotel bed because it's too soft or it's too firm mm-hmm. or you know what I mean? Like how many of these guys are getting bad nights sleep because they're away from their family or away from their kids? Like that kind of thing could absolutely – maybe Hassan needs his, his fish. You know, like, say, dude, we need to fly his fish there. He can have his own little fish pond. Like. I mean, he, he could go down the house. He's obviously sold his house to Myers. Maybe Myers has still got some, his fish there. He can go down there and, and go, go see his fish. I don't know. We, yeah. give him, we, we gave Lou Will a pass to go to a strip club. Let Hassan get a pass to go, go see his fish. <laughs> Last I checked, I don't think fish can get COVID, right? I think fish yeah. are safe. I hope not, yeah. Oh, yeah, so – but yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of factors and I think we'll at least hope we'll see, you know, we're going to have games from Hassan where he comes out and he's just an absolute beast because we all know that he's capable of that. Um, it'd be nice if we got it already because we only have what, six games six more left. left. <laughs> um, the likelihood is he will have a game where he is going to matter. Mm-hmm. Nurk or Zach is going to get in foul trouble or a matchup's not going to be good, or he gets out on a run with a particular unit. And we saw a little bit of it today. The box score wasn't, wasn't great against Boston, but he was out there during the most important run of the game when, when Dame got absolutely nuclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, him and Gary, I should say. Um, and I had a few people text me like, well, maybe they should run Whiteside out there more often. No, you're all monsters. Um, but he was out there during that period. I think you do have to at least go, well, I, was it just Dame was hitting more shots or was there something Hassan was doing differently? Or was it the fact that we weren't giving Hassan the ball and we were becoming more guard oriented because when Nurk's on the floor, we're maybe a little bit more big oriented. I don't know. It's just something you think you got to take a little look back at the tape and go, what happened here? Uh, but let's tie a bow on the, on the Memphis game. Went insane, almost completely blew it. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to break this stuff down because by the time this podcast comes out, we're going to be heading into another game. Uh, so we'll move into the Boston game. And do we want to talk about the first half or do we just want to pretend that th- that half of basketball didn't exist? We'll just pretend like it didn't exist. Okay. Half. That's fair. Well, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll say this. Yusuf Nurkic was a complete and utter monster for four quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, they started the game off by going to him. They started the game off by going to Zach. Zach got in foul trouble again. Uh, he did a much better job of staying out of said foul trouble later in the game. But I think at that point in time, he kind of got out of his groove and it was kind of hard to find that place again. If not for Yusuf Nurkic, this game never even has a chance mm-hmm. of coming back. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, any, any game that you go into and you dig yourself in a hole, you're, you know, you're going to just spend, it's an uphill battle. Um, obviously when you're going against a team, that's not only good, but you had what Tate and Walker were just, Oh, that first quarter, those two were unstoppable. I believe Crazy, the team yeah. was nine of 12 from three in the mm-hmm. first quarter. Yeah, and we had, I think, CJ and Dane were two of nine at the start of the second. So, you know. You, they, they were four of 15 combined at half, mm-hmm. which, hard pass. <laughs> hard pass. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, so that's I mean, like that the fuel to the fire where it's like, okay, I, I thought, you know, I, you, you kind of get to the point where you're like, all right, it's not going to happen, not against a team like this. Um, and then knowing that, Third quarters usually aren't the best for us. I was like, it's only going to get worse. And so when the third quarter actually started, I was like, okay, all right, guys. Like, maybe we're going to get somewhere. And and to quote Mike Barrett, all of a sudden. Yeah, all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) When you you were watching that quarter unfold, it feels almost unreal. At least it did to me. Mm -hmm. Because that team in the first half was, was awful. 
they weren't playing with any intensity. The ball wasn't really moving. The only guy who really looked like he was going was Nurk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought Mello was forcing some shots. Uh, you know what? Also, I take that back. The only guy who really looked like he was going was Nurk and Gary. When Gary mm-hmm. got out there in his shift, he looked like he was, he was ready to go. I'm willing to, to, to kind of give Dame a little bit of slack here and because we haven't really talked about it much. Dame has addressed an issue that he said has haunted him really for every year uh, since he came into the league, and that's when he first starts kind of gearing up for the season, he's got an issue with a muscle that attaches basically his abs to his hips, I believe was what he said, or his pelvis. And like that tightness when he, got, when he ran into that screen in game one, it exacerbated that issue and I almost wonder if he needs to work. Part of the reason why maybe every year he starts a little bit slow, especially as far as like first halves of basketball go, is that he needs to warm up and get loose. Like I, I, I don't, I, I can't explain it any other way for other than what he has told us, which maybe would explain why he's kind of works his way into a game. It's just because physically he has to. That's interesting. I'm going to be honest with all the, you know, all the years I've been doing this. I don't know that I've heard that yet. So somehow it's like, yeah, no, he, he just said it for the first time in the press conference okay. yesterday. Yeah, yeah, no, when, when he said it, he, he, I, I got to remember exactly what he said, but he says, I, it's something that I deal with at the start of every year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's interesting. I've heard of you having your feet issues. I've heard of you having your back issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard of, you know, shoulder issues, but I've never heard the, that one. And yeah. I started thinking about that. I'm like, how the hell do you pull up from 35 feet if you're getting ab hip, pelvic muscles? Like what? I can't bend over and tie my damn shoes if I got a bad hip. How the hell are you pulling from 35, man? It's crazy. He is a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nurk, I mean, just – he gets the biggest of backpacks, throws the whole team in it and says – puts him over his shoulders as he's crossing the river. The water feels like it's going to overtake him and, and take it, the whole team down the river. But here comes the third quarter. And three after three after three after three. And then another more important three, three straight defensive stops. It was not until the third quarter that the Blazers had a period. And you know this, Terry Stotts and the team, they keep track of that particular stat. They want to get those groups of three because that's when you get runs going. Mm-hmm. But it took them until the third quarter, Kristen. How, how do you explain the difference between those two teams? Yeah, it's I, honestly, I was at a point where – you know, we've seen it all before where a team kind of starts like they're inching towards a run mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, you know, and then it just kind of dies off, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and so I honestly thought in my head, I was like, all right, it's the third quarter. This is going to end sooner or later. It's not like we're not going to, we're not going to continue to progress the way that we are. Um, so I was just still kind of, my mind was blown on that. I was like, all right, we're, we're getting somewhere, you know, for my numbers for that. Yeah. They, they, they reeled them back in pretty hard because they scored, I believe, it was oh, yeah. 24 and 24 and then in, the, in the first and second and then 38 and 38, yeah. which great symmetry, guys. Well done. Like, <laughs> but as great as those two quarters were, you aren't in that position if you come out and execute better in the first half. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think that's where the, the, the Blazers and their frustration. It, it's great that you showed the, the, the guile and the guts to come back. And I, and I understand that this game is a game of runs. But the difference in intensity of, of, of basketball between those two halves was, was night and day. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I, there's been so many games over the years where, you know, it, you know, it's, obviously this is one of them where it's really close to the last, what, six to eight seconds or whatever it was. 
and people really want to focus on that. And I always love that someone in the Blazers, whether it's, you know, Terry or one of the players or whatnot, they're usually pretty honest and they're like, could we have won this game? Yes. But was that the deciding factor? No. Like, no, we lost this game in the second quarter when, you know, we didn't defend for 10 straight minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, same thing they've done it where there's been a really terrible call, you know, on the side of the refs at the end. And they're like, but we could have, we could have already claimed this game earlier. With the exception of the Utah game. Yeah. With the exception of the Utah goaltending <laughs> game, in which case Dame went nuts with the officials and did not get fined because that, they knew better. I, I think, you know, just no, if, if nobody knows anything else other than Dame is that he is usually very level-headed and, and honest in his, in all situations. his appraisal. So the yeah. fact that he was going that insane is indicative of, I mean, it's very clearly was a horrible call, but that just that right there is him just freaking out. That is absolutely indicative of it was just – and a, and a perfect example is we'll, we'll talk about the play because this is the one on everybody's mind, I think, is, you know, six plus seconds left uh, after the loose ball foul on Tice. So what ended up happening was the Celtics called for a review of the play. That's what triggered all of this to begin with. What I think a lot of people missed here is that the Blazers used their last timeout during the review. Mm-hmm. So basically that was the idea here. And, you have to give credit to, to Brad Stevens here because they're, you don't see this happen all that often. A lot of teams talk about this idea, but they don't typically execute it just because it's, it goes against the grain. The Celtics kept all five defenders above the three-point line. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, Dame got a little confused and flustered, and he dropped it off to Nurkic, who went up for two. And Dame addressed it afterwards and said, yeah, no, I, I made a read. I think I kind of panicked a little bit, and I, I went to Nurk. Um, that's that's a tough play, and I've seen some people already kind of criticize Terry Stotts for that, but that's just kind of the nature of the beach, and you kind of have to tip your cap to him. And I don't think you can say that the game was decided on that play. Like, I, I don't did, – did Dame make a, maybe a mistake? Sure, but he also – and had dropped 30 and 16. Dear God, what do you want from the guy? I mean, he was having a dumpster fire of a first half. I think it was two of seven or two of eight at the half. And he finished, I'm sorry, let me, let me scroll back up, 8 of 20. So, yeah, by the way, he had 30 points on 20 shots, which, not bad. But, uh, let's see, 9 of 9 from the free throw line. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, let me take a look. 16 turnovers, that's a career high. What, what, what more do you, do you want from him as far as, like, being in that particular situation? That, that sequence, unfortunate. The fact that they got in the back in the game and dropped it, unfortunate. But I think at least you have to take a look at this and go, well, this team can play with anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say just absolutely. And I think one of the things too is that, um, you know, probably the only thing that I thought of is that, you know, Boston, that whole game, they're so good at defending the three point line. And so obviously, you know, they were ready for us. They knew that, okay, every, nearly every guy we have on the or Blazers have on the court right now is capable of hitting a three. Even uh, Nurk. Even Nurk, yeah. Had he been out there, I mean, I think that's why they had why they had everybody out there and they weren't, you know, uh, they were expecting, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna swing it to just whoever is open and they're gonna shoot, you know, shoot a three. Um, and yeah, I mean it's, it goes back down to just kind of habit. Like Damon's used to getting trapped. If he's trapped, obviously someone else is open. And it just happened to be Nurk who was already, you know, already going for the basket. All right. Three pointers. Portland ends up 19 of 42, 45%. Pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. You'll take that on any night. 
Problem is you gave up 18 of 30 to the Celtics and they had half those in the first quarter. If you want to talk about your deciding factor, efficiency and volume, that's, that's basically what decided this game. Um, What's problematic obviously for Portland is they don't necessarily have the perimeter help to deal with premier wings. And this is where I'm going to, kind of transfer back to what we what I alluded to a little bit earlier in that some lineup changes may need to be considered. The, again, this is not a shot at Zach Collins. There's five, six guys in the league who can effectively guard Jason Tatum. Yeah, that's why he's probably going to end up being all NBA players sooner rather than later. But with that being said, with Portland not having Trevor Reza, it's not that them not having Rodney Hood, with them being so shorthanded at the wing position, I feel like the Carmelo Anthony experiment at the three has kind of got to it's got to go the wayside. We, we saw the, the Nurkic Hassan Whiteside experiment pretty much fade away damn near instantly. Yeah, yeah that was no short-lived. As far as Professor Terry goes, uh, he, he put that back on the shelf real quickly. Mello has been good. I don't necessarily want to pull him off the floor. And I'm not saying this as a demotion to Zach Collins. Just with the injuries that they have at the wing position or the lack of options they have at that position right now, do you think that perhaps the time with the way things are with them have maybe having some, some issues with things uh, defensively that they need to start Gary Trent Jr. Move Mello to the four and have basically a plus perimeter defender and Gary on the floor and Nurkic, as opposed to what amounts to two premier interior defenders in Zach and, and Nurk. Um, I mean, I guess yes and no, like it's hard. Like that's one of the things with my job that I've never really had to sit down and like kind of critique um so like this is all kind of this part of it's fun for me but I think it some might come down to the to the, the matchup um you know obviously they're going to have games where the the three point isn't going to be as much of a threat and it's like yeah you know start start Zach um I would say if any any game that um you know that that they have a lot of high consistency three-point shooters it might be worth it's it to coming up yeah <laughs> It might be worth it to you know throw Gary in there early and see and see really what the difference is. Um, don't really know until you until you try it, I guess. The the thing that I'm looking at here is that if you do this, then you have <coughs> excuse me. Then you you don't you obviously you don't have Gary coming off the bench as a defender, mm-hmm. which can be slightly problematic. Yeah. However, you do have Nas, you do have Mario. You do have guys that can kind of fill those gaps as you traditionally do. You have to change how you stagger guys. <coughs> Excuse me. I have the worst tickle in my throat imaginable right now. Ugh. But you do now have Zach coming off the bench and you allow him to play closer to the rim, mm-hmm. which again, that last line of defense where he can be maybe a little bit more aggressive, where he can read and, and, and um, digest it all a little bit easier and be kind of that anchor, which I think he wants to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's a fantastic help side defender, but I also think mentally, I think he likes the idea of being kind of that lone ranger, of being that guy who is the last line of defense. I, I think he can, kind of tries to embody that. A lot mm-hmm. of ways is that Yusuf Nurkic does. And so if you move him into that position, I think maybe you take some of the stress or the pressure that may be on him, or it's the complete opposite in that, he ends up being counted on more because he's in that position. I think that's kind of the line you have to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then if you do that, 
then you're cutting into Hassan Whiteside's potential backup minutes at the five. And that's another thing for, for Portland to juggle. I know when we play these lineup games, everybody wants to assume that these things are very easy. And it's all based on exactly what happens on the court. That's not the reality. Yeah. There, there are things that happen that, that transpire between uh, NBA organizations and agents and players and uh, handshake agreements, uh, as we've alluded to before, um, with obviously with certain players. Uh, it's not a secret that Carmelo Anthony signed with the Blazers because they guaranteed him a starting spot. So, Melo's not coming out of the starting lineup for, for Zach. That's, that's the way it's going to go. So if Gary goes in, what ends up happening is Melo slides up and he goes to the four. It's not, it's not Zach stays in there. It's Melo that stays in there. Now, we're, not taking, we're not telling state secrets here. Melo's already said as much, so it's, 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 you know, nobody's getting into any trouble here. Um, but with, uh, with Hassan, the same kind of situation. You know, he was told that he would be relied upon and he would be given his opportunity and, and he'll still get his minutes – so how do you massage those same things if you're moving Zach to the five? And I think those are kind of the questions you have to ask. Do, where do you see Zach, his, his best position right now? Do you see him more as a four or more as a five? I mean, I feel like um, – have we seen, we've seen him more, I feel like, at the four lately. Yeah, at the, lately that's but, where he's been. Yeah. But where, where do you think you see him more comfortable at? I mean, I guess because like, he does – like we are, I can't remember now if this was, you know, pre, pre podcast or what, but, um, you know, he does, he gets in early foul trouble because he is sometimes not, for the, the, not, not getting the bet and you're choosing the best fouls, the mm-hmm. best times to foul. Um, so I would say, you know, see, get him in that, the, off the bench as the five. Um, so he can really be the last, um, the, like you said, the last line of defense, I guess. Um, I would be completely fine seeing him foul out even on a semi, I guess, semi-consistent basis. (laughs) Um, If we're knowing he's actually preventing, you know, preventing the other team from scoring versus, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, when there are other options available, I guess. When, when, as opposed to fouling earlier in the clock or being a little, maybe overly aggressive, like we saw uh, against Boston, he jumped at a few shots early where maybe he didn't need to, um, even if they weren't fouls, they were more, I think, out of his comfort zone plays as opposed to when you get him within 15 feet of the rim where not only is he a shot blocker, but he's he uses, able to use his length and his mobility for his size much more effectively. Yeah. I mean, he's the – you know, when he is having those games, he's kind of an intimidating guy, I feel like, down there because he has – you know, he'll get his, his energies up. Um, he's a very – you know, he can be a very strong player. So it's like maybe, you know, throw him in that five and just have to say, hey, you know what, you've – this is your territory. Like, <laughs> defend. I mean, we saw him against the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And when he riled up four future Hall of Famers and talked trash to Clay Thompson, we all know what he said. If you don't, go to YouTube. You can see it. He, he, it's, it's very clear. He, that, the young man enunciates his word. That's a, that's a good <laughs> private school Bishop Gorman graduate if I've ever seen one right there. There's no – uh, there's, <laughs> Go Zags. Uh, there, there's no mincing of words of what he told Clay. Um, and I think that, that adds to that aggression. I think it's almost better served as, as the five, mm-hmm. um, especially as, as how Portland plays their fives in their drop coverage. Boston presents, I think, a unique problem that not many teams do in that they have, like, you know, a cupboard full of wings that they, they can throw at, at teams. Their next opponent, Houston, can also do a little bit of the same. They go dumb small. Uh, this is where I think this is going to be a really unique matchup because – P.J. Tucker and his 87 pairs of shoes are going to try to guard Yusuf Nurkic on the block. Or they may put Robert Covington on him, who's got a little bit more length. 
Mm-hmm. What are you looking at when you're looking at just a massive contrast of styles from what we've seen from two teams already when we're looking at Harden, Westbrook, and, and the Smalls against uh, Nurk, Collins, and Mello and the Bigs, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of clash of, of, of styles? I mean, I think that could be, you know, the types of games that you start looking at when maybe, you know, get Gary out there earlier in the game, you know, um, where he's been consistently proving that he can be a defender. So get him out there against the best of the best, um, especially with, you know, they don't necessarily need a lot of the height and maybe uh, down, you know, I guess closer to the blocks and whatnot. Um, so I don't know, I could see, I could at least see there being a, a, a good equality argument there to start, you know, to start Gary and maybe wait and see what Zach does, does off the bench. It's going to be interesting because obviously we get the uh, Brody uh, Russell Westbrook matchup with uh, Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time those two faced off in uh, high pressure circumstances, uh, I believe Russell Westbrook ran from the challenge. Um, uh, I'm not, I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, he opted to no longer guard Damian Lillard. Uh, in that playoff series and opted for a different assignment, uh, contrary to what he likes to tell people. <laughs> but that matchup's always fun. The question becomes, does Portland opt to put a young but promising defender in Gary Trent Jr. on the beard? Mm-hmm. That's where I think you can get maybe into problems. You know, the, as much as I hate his game, uh, I, I respect his productivity. Uh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer and one, maybe one of the most gifted scorers this league has ever seen. Uh, it doesn't mean I enjoy watching it. But with that said, you look at this team and they definitely present some unique opportunities for Portland as well as challenges. There it is. I just worked in my Blazers broadcasting. Challenges and opportunities brought to you by – no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do your reads for you. Um, but Nurk has been playing fantastically. Do you think that this is the kind of game where Portland should continue to do what they did basically against Boston, which is try to set the tone with their physicality, or should they try to switch things up? I mean, it's, it's fun being Terry Stotts, isn't it? I know, right? Like, because <laughs> a part of you wants to be like, yeah, you know, switch it up, see, you know, see if something works better. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there is even, I think it was the, the, I can't remember, end of some, is the, interview at some point with with Terry today during the game and they kind of alluded to that like well what are you going to do and his his answer was we're going to keep doing what we do um so I probably lean towards that where they're just gonna you know they have they have a process that they've designed and they're going to keep keep kind of working out the kinks and whatnot um but I mean part of me wants to wants to see what Gary can do like unleash play, play bad scientist right you yeah, want to yeah. go hey, let me, I get a new toy let me play yeah 100 percent here, here's the thing. Ultimately, I think the leash maybe becomes a little bit shorter for either Zach or for, for Carmelo. If, mm-hmm. if I don't think the three-point barrage that we saw, if, the, if we see a repeat of what we saw against Boston in the first six minutes against Houston, I don't think Terry's going to hesitate. Mm-hmm. Because every one of these games is so important. Let me go and ask you this before I go any further. Of the eight games, so they're one and one now. So of the remaining six games, how many games do you think they they can win, and how many do they need to win? Because oh. that frames the the next part of this that I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. Mm-hmm. 
they can win. Again, I'm I'm always completely jaded that I'm I'm born and raised in Portland. I'm a Blazer fan. I'm like, it, it's fine. It's fine. It's, that, that, that's that's what I'm here to be the pessimist for. Okay. Right? So. <laughs> I think we can go four and six. I think it's possible. Okay. Um, I don't know as far as how many do we need to win. It's also interesting too because I mean the next. I think our next three games are teams are that. Brutal. Yeah, it's brutal, but they're also teams that have. They're maybe not quite quite fighting for as much as we are you you do houston the nuggets and the clippers the nuggets may not be healthy mm-hmm. the clippers may just be trying to figure a few things out they may not have lou and, and trez back yet and are the rockets fighting for seating position or are they just trying to get right are they trying to limit those guys minutes and kind of gear up and i think those are all valid questions mm-hmm. going I, into like this doesn't always necessarily make a team i guess less lethal Exactly. You may have a guy come off a bench. Remember, game 82 last year, Stotts played, what, six guys? Ant, Gary, and, and Scal went absolutely bonkers, and, you know, it, it upends the playoff seedings. So you never know, because these guys are all talented. And as much as one anyone says somebody's this, scrub this, scrub that, it, that doesn't matter. Any of these guys can, can go off. Ben McLemore was going crazy the last time I was watching the Rockets, and he's been up and down and in and out of NBA lineups now for, for years. Um, the reason I ask you is because the number that I have set basically is that Portland needs to win five games to, to force that playoff situation. If they win five, that means for a team to pass them, they have to win six mm-hmm. because any team that finishes tied with them, Portland has a tiebreaker because of the, the games played metric. So six and two is a tough ask for any of these teams to go in these eight games. Yeah. The Pelicans have already dropped two. So they've got to go six and zero. Oh. To, to, to be able to catch up. Uh, the Kings have already dropped two now. So they've got to go 6-0. Oh, excuse me. Even if they go 6-0, oh, they need some help, mm-hmm. I believe, because they were a game more than, more than a game and a half behind Portland's pace. Um, and then you look at the um, Spurs, who technically are ahead of Portland, but because of the games played, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they would have to also win six. And if, when you're talking about that level, that sounds like an awful lot. And so if Portland is able to quote unquote steal one of the games against Houston or Boston, then you'll have to steal one less later on down the road. And as the seating gets a little bit more clear, maybe a team sits out a guy, maybe somebody's resting the back end of that schedule could be favorable because guys could already be seated or be where, where they expect to be seating wise. And so the more you can take care of on the front end, the easier it gets down the road. Mm-hmm. So with that, with the Memphis game decided, I've now moved the Houston game up to the most important game of this eight-game run-up in that this is a game that can set the tone for the rest of this, or you could basically fall behind the eight ball and say you need to win four to your last five. Mm -hmm. And that gets a little scary. Four out of five sounds to me like a very difficult task. Three out of five – that, that three out of five sounds, I mean, that doesn't sound impossible, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what it gets like. It's just so crazy. It's just one game, but because it's only eight games, I think that's where it's the, the meaning just skyrockets. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at this Houston game and when you're looking at the, the, the matchup and, and everything that's coming out of this, what do you think ends up being the most important thing out of this? Is it, Yusuf Nurkic and his ability to continue his play. Does somebody else need to step up? Do we need to see 
Dame take on James Harden defensively. As we saw in this Boston game, part of what this turnaround was keyed by was Damian Lillard taking on Jason Tatum defensively, which we probably should have talked about a little bit more because that's nuts. Dame's 6'1", Tatum's about 6'8". And Dame did a fantastic job on him for about five, six minutes um, and kind of keyed that run. But what, what, when you're looking at this matchup, what's, what's, what do you think is going to be your number one takeaway? Gosh, I mean, I think it is going to be, and I couldn't tell you which player on the Blazers it's, it's going to kind of fall to, but it is going to be containing the beard to an extent. I feel like it's always like that, you know, the same way that the teams come out at us and they say, okay, if we can, if we can contain Dame, that's kind of priority one. If we can contain Dame and CJ, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Um, they did employ the box in one. And Gary Trent Jr. was a big part of that earlier this season. I know it feels like two years ago. But they did basically say, go ahead, shoot as many shots as you want that, that aren't initiated by James Harden. James Harden's going to be 45 feet from the rim, and we're going to have somebody in his hip pocket. Mm-hmm. Do you think they do that again? I, I think they kind of have to. I mean, if you – if again, if you let him go and if you end up – you know, if the Blazers end up in a position where instead of – kind of going head to head they're trying to dig themselves out of a hole because they let Harden just go crazy in the first and second quarter um I think you need to probably prevent that at all costs all right so Kristen says shut down the beard shut down the beard (laughs) winning five out of six of the final games okay Mm -hmm. and are we making a lineup switch or no tough calls tough calls I would like to see it just, again, I'm, I'm a Gonzaga fan. I love Zach. You know, I want to see him do amazing. I, I like how you phrase it. I would like to see it. I would like to see it. I don't, I don't know that we're going to. Okay. Um, I feel like based on just the history of, um, of who they put in the lineups, it's the Blazers like consistency. I mean, a lot of teams do, but we, for sure we see that. They, they aren't a, a team historically who just throws stuff on the wall or make really radical changes on short notice. Yeah. They do from time to time. Yeah. Terry, I mean, Terry, was, Terry keeps us honest. Yeah. If it was early in a season and they're still trying to work things out, like we see every year, you know, they, they play around, but we're, mm. you know, um, not this far into the season. I would, I would think we're going to stick with the, with the lineup. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for, I've already <laughs> kept you here more than an hour. Um, as per usual, I've rambled and just completely destroyed my our rundown. Um, and for a, a team mom, I'm sure she's listening. I actually created a rundown and sent it to her. Okay. So be, be proud. He did. I can show you proof, Tara. <laughs> she, she, can, she can screenshot it. And it had more than three bullet points for once. Um, but thank you for coming on. We definitely want to have you back if, if, you're, if you're willing to come back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everybody, please uh, follow Kristen on Twitter. And, and, and it's, it's at Kristen Kerbaugh, correct? At Kristen Kerbaugh, yep. Really simple. And uh, inundate her with how fantastic she is and how awesome she was here on the podcast as she – uh, this is her second appearance here at Blazers Edge. She did is, uh, previously yeah. on the What podcast with Tara, and that's what made me want to have her on because she was fantastic there. Uh, I can't let you go though, because uh, for anybody watching on YouTube, I have ignored this the entire time. You have a wonderful, uh, what appears to be Damian Lillard photograph, signed photograph yes. of a baby-faced Dame at Weaver State. Yes, I've got a, I've got Dame back there in college, and then I'm kind of blocking them, but I've got B-Roy and Lamarcus. They're my, they're my guys. <laughs> you realize really? I'm going to steal the LaMarcus and the <laughs> Roy, right? It was a really, like, uh, really awesome Christmas gift I got one year, and I'm finally able to – Display them appropriately? Display them, yes, absolutely. The, I, I, listen, this is not a shot at, at Dame. I, I love Dame, but those those two are, are my guys. They're the guys I, I came back to the fold with. 
Um, uh, obviously, anybody who's listened, that's that's when I got out of the military and came back to that team. So uh, I have a, a a deep connection to those two guys, and I am now very very jealous. Um, <laughs> but thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, everybody inundate her with awesome, awesome comments. Um, and let us know if you like the pod, like rate review, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, let us know what you want, what you thought in the comments. Uh, if you're obviously on the blazers.com website, uh, let us know what you thought here, Kristen. And this is kind of a, um, ongoing thing as we're still, uh, looking to, re- to, to replace team mom. So, uh, if you like Kristen, let us definitely let us know. Um, and we'll kind of keep working through that process. So Kristen, thanks again for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we're, we're definitely going to have you back one way or the other. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. This is, this is a lot of fun. It's something I don't normally get to do. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thanks again. Uh, Kristen, thanks for joining us again. Rate, review, subscribe. I need to put this earlier in the podcast because I always forget. Uh, until then we'll catch you guys next week. Uh, remember to watch Joe Simons and myself on NBC sports Northwest following every game, uh, during the lead up uh, with our special guest, DJ OG one, uh, Jamie Hudson filling in as our bubble insider getting uh, obviously the direct line to Amara Baptist and Zach Collins and a few other guys. So uh, we'll keep that stuff going for you. Uh, and until next time, see you later. Bye. <laughs>